0: Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 2. In just a moment, I'm going to read verses 8 through 14 of Luke chapter 2. We're in the midst of a sermon series that we have entitled Songs of the Season. And maybe you've been in churches before or heard preachers that don't really preach the Bible. They just preach song lyrics. And I want to assure you that's not what we're doing in this sermon series. What we want to do is, yes, appreciate these Christmas songs more. But we want to see how they track what the Scripture says. So that at the end of this series, we might have greater appreciation, yes, for the songs, but also for the Scripture, which is represented so richly in these songs. And today we're going to take a look at my very favorite Christmas hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. You've heard me say for years, words by Wesley, music by Mendelssohn. How does it get any better than that? And I want you to know after researching this hymn, I like it even more. Uh, There is such rich biblical theology in this hymn. Charles Wesley wrote it as he was having his quiet time on the end of Luke chapter 1 and the beginning of Luke chapter 2. So the scripture is driving it. And when you look at the hymn... You see, all these deep truths affirm the virgin birth, the deity of Christ, the incarnation of Christ, the immortality of the soul, that doctrine of the second birth, or as Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3, being born again. And so, yes, I appreciate this song even more, but my prayer more than that would be that you would appreciate the scripture which has inspired it. So that's what I want to do today. Let me tell you a little bit about this song and how it was written, and then we'll look together at the scripture in Luke 2 together this morning. So let's do that together. First, let me tell you about this song. Charles Wesley wrote these words one year after his dramatic conversion experience in Aldersgate in 1738. You need to know he wrote all these words except for the very first line of the song. Originally, Wesley wrote, Hark, How All the Welkin Rings, Glory to the Newborn King. And if you're thinking to yourself, what the heck is a Welkin? Well, everybody who heard the song wondered the same thing. Because it's Old English and it was archaic even when he wrote it in the 1730s, people didn't know what the Welkin was. It's an Old English word that means the vault of heaven, the sky, the firmament, sort of that bowl that's turned upside down. If you look at the sky, that's the way the firmament looks. And so he's saying that the sky, the firmament, is filled with the angels making this proclamation, glory to the newborn King. The Hidden did okay for about 15 years, mostly done in Methodist circles where the Wesleys had their greatest influence. But it wasn't until 15 years later in 1753 when Wesley's old college friend, George Whitfield wanted to include this hymn in his hymnal. Now you've got to know about Whitfield. He was a character, larger than life personality. Whitfield was a bartender turned Calvinist preacher who's known for preaching huge outdoor meetings. And we praise him for that. We say, oh, Whitfield, he was started the Great Awakening. The United States preaching outdoors and open-air preaching. People laud him for that. Well, you need to know the reason he preached outside is because they wouldn't let him preach in the church. The Anglicans said, we're not putting that guy in the pulpit he disagreed with theology with the Methodists, and that's why he's preaching outside all the time. Is because he was not allowed to preach in the church. Well, he's putting together this hymnal, and he's a man of the people. And he said, this is a great hymn, but nobody knows what a welcome is. So let's just change this first line to, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Glory to the newborn king. And the rest of it is exactly what Wesley wrote. So that's exactly what Whitfield did. And the hymn became immensely popular. Just a couple of problems with that. Wesley was furious. Number one, Whitfield had not gotten his permission to change the line before he published it. And number two, Wesley was angry because he said, this is attributed to me, but what you wrote is not biblical. Because Luke 2 never says that the angels sang anything. Now, I don't know about you, but I always grew up thinking that the angels sang. We, we've already sung this morning, angels we have heard on high sweetly singing, right? But we're going to read the text again in a minute. You're going to see that the text never does say that angels actually sing. So Wesley's actually right about that. He was like, now people think I don't know the Bible. I'm sure he would be uh, just really angry to know that we actually believe angels sing now because Whitfield said it and not what he wrote that was more accurate. So to his dismay... People love these changes that Whitfield made to his song. And the sad thing about it is, Wesley was so angry that he never again sang this song in any of the churches that he pastored because he was so angry about what had happened. Hymnologists, people who study those kinds of things, say this is the fourth most popular hymn in the English world. Language. Oh, how Wesley and the folks at his churches missed out on a great hymn. Now, yes, Whitfield should have asked to make the change, no doubt, or at least made a notation that the first line was his. I would imagine Wesley could have been a little more gracious in his response to Whitfield. But the good news that I took away from it is this listen, here's the good news for us. God uses broken and messed up people to do some extraordinary things. And that gives us great hope. Because if God only uses perfect people, then he can't use us because we're not perfect. But if God uses broken and messed up people to do amazing things, then we have hope that he can use us here at Redeemer Church. Because we're broken and messed up people who disagree with one another who get what the scripture says, we get it wrong sometimes, who don't ask permission when we should, who fail to extend grace when we often should, and we have hope that God can still use us. But it's so interesting to me, do the angels actually sing? I'm going to read the text for us, and you can focus on that. Then I want to take a few minutes to look at what the angels actually do, say in the text, all right? So give your attention to the reading of God's word, Luke chapter 2. I'm just going to read verses 8 through 14 and pay special attention to these angels sing and pay attention to what they say. Luke chapter 2 beginning in verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Let's pray together as we come to God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you would help us to be good students of it, to to get right what it says. We certainly want to know what it says and to understand, but far more than that, I pray that this word would penetrate not only our minds, but it would penetrate our hearts, that it would make us different people. That we would be forever changed because of time that we spend in your word. Father, please use the preaching of your word in this way. And make us more and more into the people that you would have us to be. And Father, I ask that you'd be willing to do so even through the sin-stained lips of a foolish preacher. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's take a few minutes now to look at what the angels said. All right, the angels begin talking there in verse 10. There's this one angel that shows up, and the angel said to them, fear not. Let me just stop right there. If you haven't read the Bible a lot, this is the standard greeting that angels give. They always, Old Testament New Testament, when they show up, they all, the first thing they always say is, don't be afraid, fear not. Now, why do you think angels would always say that? Why would that be their opening line? Because they must be scary looking. We don't know exactly what angels look like, but I'm guessing here, I'm speculating a little bit, so I'm I'm telling you, this is a little bit of speculation. If what you think of as an angel is like chubby babies with wings that you see depicted in like the Baroque or the Renaissance period if that's what you think of I don't know chubby babies are not very scary to me they're kinda cute and with wings man that's adorable so I'm thinking that's probably not what real angels look like cuz they always say fear not alright so let's just hold that idea of what angels look like a little more loosely They must be terrifying in order to see them. And these guys are afraid, not only because of this angel, but if you look in verse 9, it says that the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with fear. So it wasn't just the appearance of the angel that made them afraid, but it's also the glory of the Lord. Now if you read the scripture... The glory of the Lord is that bright light that surrounds the presence of God. Sometimes it's described as a cloud or a burning fire, a pillar of fire, not a pillar that you sleep on. That ends with a W, not an R. Thank you. Somebody was with me. Thank you. But a pillar, like a column of fire, sometimes it is described in that way. It is a manifestation of the presence of God's, his being present in a real way and his power. And so this shone all around them and contributed to their fear, no doubt. Just imagine, okay, you're outside working, you're doing some work at night. They didn't have flashlights, they didn't have a phone, they got out and turned their flashlight on their phone on. So there's outside, they probably have a fire maybe some torches, and then you've got the stars and the moon if it's out, right? And then this bright light appears, I mean like fire. And an angel, who we don't know what it looks like, but they must be scary, shows up. These guys are afraid, right? That's where we are. So we understand this angel shows up, fear not. And then what does the angel say? Fear not, for behold... That's getting their attention. Look at this. Notice this. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So the angel's about to say something that's for everybody, not just the shepherds, not just Jewish people, but this word, this good news is for everybody. We're people. This good news is for us too, which is why God has preserved these words for 2,000 years. So, this good news is for us as well as for all people. So, what is it? This good news of great joy. This word good news is the word that we get, it's where we get gospel. It's good news of great joy. And so, let me just stop right there and ask you do you find great joy in the good news of the gospel? We're going to get into the content of it, but let me just ask you, do you find great joy in the good news of the gospel? Now, if you're answering no, if you're just being honest and say, no, I, I really don't. I've heard this story a bazillion times. We've already read it three times this morning. I don't find great joy. Listen, thank you for your honesty. That's okay. It's okay if you don't have great joy at first. These guys didn't have great joy at first, right? Right? They're afraid, but I want you to see in the text how their great fear leads to great rejoicing. How do you get there? How do you get from the place where the good news is not making us joy, what's not giving us great joy? How do you get to that place where you find great joy in the good news? They didn't just hear it and have great joy. How did it happen? Well, let's let's quickly look beyond where I just read. Verse 15, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Notice they're not rejoicing yet. They're saying, hey, we just heard this proclamation. Maybe we ought to go and check it out and see if this stuff is true or if we're having some kind of group hallucination or something right I mean this is crazy nobody's gonna believe us but I mean it's pretty dramatic maybe we ought to go check it out so that's what they do right verse 16 and they went with haste that means in a hurry and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger so they found exactly what they had been told that they would find right And so, what do they do? When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. They're like, I'm glad you had a baby tonight, but this is probably going to seem weird. But we were out in the field, and this fire comes down from heaven, and an angel, which probably doesn't look the way you think they're going to look, comes and tells us that there's good news of great joy for all people, that there was born this savior in Bethlehem we came to check it out because we weren't sure that it was true but here we are just like the angel told us it would be now the text doesn't say so but I would imagine if these guys were honest about that surely at this point Mary says well you know what I believe you because an angel of the Lord appeared to me And told me that this child was going to save his people from their sin. And I imagine, again, sanctified speculation. I imagine Joseph said, they're scary, aren't they? I know what you mean. An angel appeared to me in a dream. I was going to divorce her. But an angel appeared to me and said, no, it's okay. so do you see what's going on here? Number one, how do they move from fear to great rejoicing? Number one, they go check it out. They don't just listen to what was said and then go about their business. But they go and check it out. They open up and are honest about what they've heard. Other people are speaking into that, I'm guessing, and confirming that they're not crazy. They obviously receive them well. In verse 19, we're told Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. I mean, she's had a hard nine months, and it's been that long since she's seen the angel. Surely she's thinking to herself, is this for real? I mean, I know I thought an angel appeared to me, so to have the shepherds come, what a confirmation, And she ponders these things in her heart. And then, verse 20, the shepherds return, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Do you hear that? (laughs) The takeaway is just hearing the good news might not make you rejoice. You you may not have great joy at that point. But if we're going to find great joy in the gospel, number one, we need to check it out. You can't leave here and just go about your normal business like you did not hear the good news of the gospel. You've got to go check it out. You've got to think about it. You've got to ponder it. You have to share with other people how you've experienced it. It would be good for you to hear other people tell you how they've experienced it, how it's changed them. And in that process... The good news of the gospel brings great joy. So if you don't have that great joy, I just want to encourage you. Spend some time with the gospel. Spend some time thinking about it. Spend some time contemplating it. Spend some time talking to somebody else about it. Tell them your experience. Listen to their experience. Put yourself around people who do have great joy. Listen to what they say. And allow the Lord to use that to lead you to great joy. I said it last week, I'm going to say it again this week, I've been very convicted that we cannot spend three minutes a day in reading God's word and three hours a day on our phone or looking at some kind of a screen and think that the word is going to shape us more than the screens that we look at. We must spend time in the Word, reading, listening. Listen, use your phone. Listen to it on your phone as you drive around town. Meditate on it. Think about it. Talk to other people about it. That's how we go from hearing the good news to rejoicing. Well, what is this good news of great joy that's for all people? Well, they say there in verse 11, the angel says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, that's Bethlehem, David's city, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. So there's this announcement that a Savior, who is the Christ and Lord, has come. That's the good news of the gospel. That may not be the way that we would say it, but I think the gospel is there because the good news is that a Savior has come. In fact, Jesus' name means the Lord saves or the Lord is salvation, And so if a savior has come and his name is the Lord saves or the Lord is salvation, that sort of begs the question a little bit, doesn't it? Saved from what? Sometimes people ask the question, have you been saved? Well, saved from from what? The angel doesn't say here. But if you've been reading the book of Luke so far, We see in Luke chapter 1, verses 76 to 79. I don't have to turn the page, it's on the same page for me. It's in this. Long monologue that Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, has after John the Baptist is born. Beginning in verse 76, he says, And you, child, speaking of John the Baptist, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people. Oh good, this is what we wanted to know, right? What is salvation, save from what? So you're going to give knowledge of salvation to God's people in The forgiveness of their sins. That's what we're saved from. The effects of sin and death. The implications of our sin and all that it brings with it. And why are we saved? He goes on, because of the tender mercy of our God. Whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. Does anybody remember what the King James of that verse is? Dayspring from on high that we just sang in, Come thou long expected Jesus. I thought it was just a merry day spring. No. That hymn was taken from right here in Luke chapter 1. And if you read where that language is in the Old Testament... You look at Malachi chapter 4 and verse 2, and do you remember what it says? It says, But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness, S U N, the sun, the day spring from on high, the beginning of the day, the sun of righteousness will rise with what? With healing in his wings. I thought that was just Wesley being poetic. And I thought that because I don't know my Old Testament minor prophets very well. Because Malachi is the one that wrote, risen with healing in his wings. And that's what we'll sing when we sing, hark the herald angels sing. He's quoting Malachi. Remember, he's doing his quiet time on the end of Luke 1, which is what we're looking at in the beginning of Luke 2. So... The sun rises from high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But you need to understand that in order for this good news to really be good news, we have to understand the bad news first. We have to understand that we're people who are in need of a savior. We have to understand that we are people who sin, who fall short of the glory of God. We are people who don't love God with all of our hearts and all of our minds and all of our strength. That's all God requires is that we love him with 100% of what we've got 100% of the time and we fall way short of that. He requires that we love our neighbors as we love ourselves and we fall way short of that. And as a result, We sin and we fall short and we're trapped by our own sin. And we deal with the effects of shame and fear and blame and hatred and decay and death. And if we don't have an awareness of our sin, then the good news doesn't sound so good to us. We don't rejoice in it. So if you're not rejoicing in this good news, ask God this day. To give you an awareness of your sin. I'm going to warn you. It's a prayer he often answers. So be careful. Pray at that one. Oh Lord, give me an awareness of my sin. And as we are aware of our sin, all of a sudden it's good news that a Savior has been born. Thank you, God, for sending a Savior if you're here this morning and you are aware of your sin, you do feel it very acutely, then I want you to know that a Savior has been born and that that Savior is here for the forgiveness of sin because of the tender mercy of our God. And he can give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death And can guide your feet into peace. We'll talk about that more in a moment. Let me look at what else the angel says. It says, a Savior has been born who is Christ the Lord. Let me talk about Christ for a minute. A lot of folks think that Christ is just Jesus' last name, right? Jesus Christ, right? Like Scott Barber. Well, Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's a title. It's more like Pastor Scott. My name's not Pastor it's a title that you have given me and this is a title Christ for Jesus it's just the Greek word for Messiah both the Greek word in the New Testament and the Hebrew word in the Old Testament both mean the anointed one this is the one God had promised that he would send to make all things right you remember the promise when he first makes it right Genesis 3 and verse 15 there's been a fall The man and the woman have rebelled against God and not lived life the way it was designed to be lived. As a result, that shame and fear and blame and hatred and ill will and decay and death have come into the world. And God promises then that a seed of the woman, a descendant of Eve, would come and do battle with evil. Right? With the serpent, the one who embodied evil and that at great cost to himself, right, because the serpent would strike his heel, he would do what to evil? He would crush its head. He would deal evil a mortal blow. And as we keep reading in the Old Testament, in Genesis 12 and and in Genesis 22, we learn that this descendant is going to be a descendant of Abraham, and he would be one who would bless the nations. I hear Wesley in there, right? Mentioning the nations rejoicing at the coming of the king. 2 Samuel 7 says it's going to be a descendant of David, and that he will rule forever as David's son. Isaiah says he'll be born of a virgin, that he would come and make all things right. Other prophets, you heard this morning Gunnar read that he would be born in Bethlehem, and he was. The hope of history has arrived. That's why... It's such good news of great joy. Because that one who God promised would come and would make all things right has been born. He has begun that process. And we are able to live through great brokenness because we know that God has started the process of making all things new. It's the way the first advent Causes us to look forward with a great hope to that second advent. Is that your hope for history? Is that your hope that God will be faithful to keep his promises? He's been so faithful in the past. Everything tells us that we can depend on him. I call you to put your hope in him. He is Christ, but third of all, it says He is the Lord. Now we read the Lord and we just think, okay, yeah, He's the Lord, He's God. Uh, okay, good, right? And that's exactly what Luke means. He's used this word, this is the 19th time he's used the word Lord in just two chapters, but every time it has meant God. So the beginning of Mary's song, it's at the beginning of Zechariah, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. And we just kind of take that for granted. Yes, the the one in the manger is, is God. But that's crazy to these folks that are hearing it. God has come to earth in the form of a little baby? Are you kidding me? Did I hear that right? Wesley, I think, captures it well when he writes in the hymn that we will sing, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. We think of the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, and rightfully so. But let's also remember this Advent season, the sacrifice that Jesus makes in leaving the perfection of heaven where he's worshipped and adored and where everybody does what he says to do, where it's comfortable. To come here, the sacrifice that he makes to become a baby and then a boy and then a man who was mistreated and misunderstood for us so that we might be made right with God. As we keep going here in the text, verse 13, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. That's where I thought they sang. Right? I thought it was right there. I thought that's what they were singing. I guess because I grew up singing those things. That's what I thought they sang. So I kind of thought that all these angels, remember one is scary, but then a whole bunch of them joined, so it must have been really scary. But I kind of thought of them as an angel choir, right? That they're all joining this one angel to sing, like backup singers or something, right? That's kind of the way I always looked at. And so I thought choir here, but, but what I'm missing is the, the language used, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. That's not a musical term. That's a military term. Your translation may say a company of the heavenly host. These are military terms. These angels that show up are warriors, which makes sense why they would be scary looking. But the language used here is military language, and it's interesting to me that when an army appears in all of its numbers, usually it means war is going to take place. But this army shows up and announces peace, glory to God in the highest. We've already sung that this morning, Do you know that? The Latin is gloria in excelsis Deo. Glory to God in the highest, probably referring to the highest heaven. From the lowest point on the earth to the highest point in heaven, we want to to sing glory to God. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. God's favor and his peace rests on those who know the true identity of the baby in the manger. God's favor and peace rest on those who know Jesus as Savior and Christ, the promised one, and Lord God. Do you know him that way? Do you experience him in those ways? Take time to think about that. Talk about that with other people. For Jesus, the grown-up Jesus... On the night that he was betrayed in the upper room with his disciples in John 14 and verse 27, he says to them, peace, I live with you. My peace I give you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I don't know what you think of when you think about this offer of peace. I usually just think about the absence of conflict, no war, the absence of hostility, we're not going to be mad or ugly to one another. And certainly peace includes those things. I typically associate peace with everything going my way. If everything goes the way I want it to go, then I'm at peace, right? And when things don't go the way that I want them to go, I'm anxious then, right? And of course the problem is things seldom go the way we want them to go. In some aspect of our lives, things are not the way that we want them to To be. But I want you to know that there is a peace available to you. There's a peace that you can have despite your circumstances. The Apostle Paul writes about it in Romans 5 in verse 1 when he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. As Wesley said, God and sinners reconciled. We have peace with God. And we're able to say, hey listen, other things may not go my way, but the most important thing, my relationship with my creator has been made right. And there's a peace that comes with that, that that can't be taken away by the things of this world. Other things may not go my way, but because this most important thing has been settled, I can have peace in all circumstances. Because I know that God is using those things that were not in my plan that I don't like, that he's using them for his glory and for my good. To make me look more like Jesus, that I would more and more be conformed to the image of Christ. And so as a result, I can have a peace even when things are not going the way that I want them to go. I don't know about you, but I want that kind of peace. Some of us know Christ Jesus as Lord, yet we still lack that kind of peace. What do you say about that, preacher? Well, I'd say this. That when we're out of fellowship with him, when we're not meditating on what is true, and we're not allowing that to shape us more than the world around us, then we will be anxious. That's just a sign that something in this world has become bigger for us than Christ is. We begin to believe lies, that someone else is in control. I believe I'm in control. Or somebody else besides God is in control. And so we get anxious. Let your lack of peace lead you to the one who says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that you were willing, out of your tender mercy, that you were willing to send your Son, our Savior, the Christ, the Lord. I pray that that would become real to us this year and you would move us from apathy or anxiety, that you would move us toward great rejoicing in what you have done, and in what you are doing, and in what you will do. Please come and build that into your people in this place. Lord, it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.